Hello, and welcome to Permanently Resident, a podcast about the ups and downs of living abroad. My name is Robin. I'm from Brighton, England, and I'm living in Richmond, California. Hello, I'm Jose. Uh, I'm from California, Simi Valley, California, and I'm recording out of Kanagawa, Japan today. Oh, very nice. So uh, today uh, we're talking about uh, monarchy. This is episode number 20. Um, so Jose, why are we talking about monarchy today? Well, I guess with the TV series, The Crown coming out with season four, you know, it's got a lot of, we have a lot of renewed interest in the, in the British monarchy and a lot of the figures. I mean, you know, we always have movies and biographies which come out every two or three years, but I think The Crown has really hit the mainstream hard, harder than any series before. So I thought it was a, we would take a good look at it today. Yeah, I, I've I've watched the first uh, three seasons before, and I, I've seen a couple of the episodes of the new one. I think one thing kind of surprised me about it, and mm-hmm. and I'm not really sure about the background in terms of who's making it in the production companies, but it seems actually kind of critical in certain sense of the. It's not mm-hmm. it's not extremely critical, but it, at some points it does paint the royal family in a rather bad light. It makes them seem quite out of touch and snobbish did you did you pick on that pick up on that um i i have picked up on it uh but it's kind of reality though because they have been out of touch at times right <laughs> and they have been a bit snobbish so sure. it, it's kind of a reflection i mean look i don't think it's 100 reality it's a tv show it's made to entertain people you know they're going to stretch something things are going to you know some things will be a little inaccurate but for the most part, I think they've tried to reflect, you know, how it's kind of a gray area or, yeah, sometimes the crown has behaved properly or, you know, sometimes they've been way out of touch and insensitive. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's I like the complexity of it. I, I rather not it be one way or the other, like totally negative against the crown or, you know, just positive and trying to uplift it and show all the great things. So. Sure, I guess. I mean, I'm not saying that I disagree with the portrayal. I'm sure that to a certain extent, it reflects reality. And I'm definitely not a defender of the royal family. But I think for me, it's a little bit surprising considering mm. other previous portrayals of of uh, the royal family and how it's always seen through a very, uh, you know, it's always seen through rose-tinted glasses, you know, this kind of ethereal, magical institution um mm. and then you know you know this is this other tv series isn't about um the royal family specifically but i think it's kind of interesting how uh the crown contrasts to downton abbey um which you might have also seen and how downton downton abbey see, paints this very rosy picture of uh in rural England in the 1910s and 1920s, which just mm. seems completely out of touch with reality. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, what I enjoy most about the crown is we get to look at some historical or events in uh, British history and uh, how the crown, I guess, how the royal family, how they get through it or what their effects are on it. I think just last night I was watching it with Akari and we watched the episode where uh, they had that weather event. Uh, I don't know, how could we say the fog rolled in? There was like a cyclone and, you know, a lot of people died in, in London in that time. 
because of all the industrial gases that got mixed up with the fog, right? Do you remember that one? Oh yeah, I forget. I forget what the specific instance is, but yeah, there was he- very, very heavy smog, and um, I don't know if that many people died, but you know, several people died from uh, thousands inhaling yeah. noxious fumes. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. So it, well, the interesting point was we could see like how Churchill was trying uh, to. I guess he was not concerned about it. His idea was it's just weather. It's just weather. But it was more than that, and uh, how he basically got lucky the weather lifted, you know, mm-hmm. when it did, because they were about to roast him over the coals, I think. So, yeah, that kind of historical thing is, uh, for me, is also very entertaining about the crown. So, today, let's, let's talk about a few of the... Uh figures in the british royal family and then we'll we'll, fig- we'll finish off by talking about some other related points and uh, maybe touch okay. on ja- the japanese royal family and obviously the in the united states there isn't a royal family so we can make that comparison too um, but maybe we'll you know see what the outsider's perspective is on each of these characters and then uh, i'll share my own uh, my own opinion uh, you know to be clear going into the going into the uh, discussion i would say that i'm a republican not in the american uh, political sense but in terms of believing in the republican system so i'm you know i'm i'm against the idea of the royal family in theory mm. and also in practice uh so just a little caveat there um so let's start with the queen so what's your what's your perception of the queen um well the thing is with the queen like a lot of people People said like oh, her personality wasn't you know as outgoing enough or she wasn't uh, as bright bright a star maybe as her younger sister and maybe you know she she shouldn't have been the queen it was kind of unlucky but I think kind of the opposite in some way that kind of steadiness that kind of uh, I don't know that mild manner personality I think was well suited for the long term so if you ask me who would have been a better queen for a day yeah, maybe her sister, right? Or maybe Diana even, right? They would have been a better queen for a day or for a week or for a month. But over, you know, a period of, you know, 40, 50, more, you know, even more years, like she, ha- she has a really well-suited personality for that kind of long-term rule. You know, that's, that's kind of what I see in her. What about you? Yeah, I think... You know, although I've just said that I'm against the, the institution, mm. I think it's important to distinguish between the institution and the person, right? So, you know, the, the Queen is a very highly respected person um, mm. in the UK and, you know, in other places too. And I think, you know, that respect has been quite hard-earned and, you know, she's, she's dedicated her whole life to public service. And of course, there's been a few. There have been a few slip-ups, um, some of them bigger than others. But generally, as you said, it's, she's kind of kept things steady, uh, kept things on an even keel. And and you're right. You know, some of the more unpredictable members of the family, like uh, Princess Margaret or Prince Charles or Prince Philip, <laughs> um, you know, perhaps would have had several scandals over that period and that would have eroded uh support for the institution and that would have eroded support for the person as well mm, mm, mm. 
Yeah, and on another note about her is, um, I think what I've heard and what I've read a lot of the times is, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, you're kind of a royal expert today. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if she's the, she's like the brightest person from a, how can I say, from, you know, because she, you know, what are her interests really? Like, she likes dogs, she likes horses, right? And like, if, if she was not the queen, what kind of person would she be? She'd probably just be enjoying her life in the countryside with her animals, kind of, right? Like, she's not like a intellectual per se, or something like that. But, uh, but she has deep respect for, you know, being the monarch and following the rules. She's a real stickler. But what, what have you heard about her intelligence and her educational background and her interests? What, what light can you shed on that? I mean, I think, um, you know, she came from a period where royals and members of noble families were not necessarily expected to have a very high level of education. And from what mm. I know, she got fairly limited formal schooling when she was, uh, when she was younger. Um, and she doesn't seem to have any particular intellectual pursuits or desire for knowledge or, um, those kind of things. And she, um, seems to find pleasure in those kind of pursuits, uh, that have been associated with the English and British aristocracy. So yes, things like show jumping, horse racing, dog breeding, um, and I think, you know, one interesting thing to say is that outside of the United States, maybe that's seen as a quite a kind of romantic, uh, idealized thing, but within, within the United Kingdom, mm. sometimes those kind of pursuits, especially things like fox hunting have made the Royal family and the queen seem quite out of touch with the popular mood. And, um, you know, at times that has, has been a good thing, you know, that's, uh, she's a kind of, she's separated from the population. She's, she's not one of us, if we can put it like that, but she's above us. And, you know, sometimes that's advantageous, right? Um, but at other times it's made her appear like, um, yeah, like, as I said, out of touch and, uh, like she doesn't really understand the struggles of the average person who might be struggling through, you know, the financial crisis um, in 2007, 2008, while the royal family still arguing about whether fox hunting should be legal, um, for example. So um, it cuts both ways. And I think maybe people from outside of the United Kingdom sometimes don't see those kind of genteel pursuits as being a negative but often they're perceived as being a negative and elite pursuits so, within the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. So in fairness to her though you know I, I haven't dug deep but uh in season four I guess there was two incidents that kind of kind of showed maybe she was a bit more in touch than uh Prime Minister Thatcher because you know as as we know Thatcher is a uh, you know, she's a conservative party, right? She's like, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps type of person, I guess, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, there was two two main incidents. I think one was uh, apartheid and uh, Margaret uh, Thatcher didn't exactly want to sign uh, sanctions against South Africa in that time. <laughs> and the other one was when they were going through a tough economic time in, uh, 
in England, uh, Margaret Thatcher was like, you know, this is hard now, but it'll be all right later. But the queen, I guess, was more concerned with uh, the state of the of the public and all the unemployment and, uh, you know, and also for the apartheid issue, she, she was, you know, why aren't we signing this? We should sign it. So there were a couple of battles there where it seemed like she was more in touch than, let's say, a, a Margaret Thatcher. So I wanted to know your opinion on that. I mean, I think uh, I think contrasting somebody with Margaret Thatcher is a difficult one, right? I mean, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher is obviously notorious for being extremely hard-headed. Mm. Uh, and so... You know, although I'm also against the, you know, the politics of Margaret Thatcher, however you want to describe them, neoliberalism or otherwise. Um, you know, to a certain extent, we see the repudiation of, uh, of, the, um, of the critics of Margaret Thatcher in the longer term, especially mm. in the UK in the 1970s and early 80s. Mm. They needed a dramatic shift uh, and in the US too, there needed to be a dramatic shift in, in the politics and in the policies of the day. And whether we agree with Margaret Thatcher or not, she brought that in. Uh, she made mm. some painful changes and, um, you know, that, uh, that made things a little bit more manageable in the next few decades. Um, so mm. perhaps we could say... Margaret Thatcher was more pragmatic and the Queen was a bit uh, soft-hearted, perhaps. Um, okay. I don't, think those I don't think we should mistake being empathetic with being in touch with the, the people, though. I see. Okay. But isn't being empathetic essentially being in touch with someone else's feelings? Yes. Uh, and so, but... I think you know, you know, she see she saw that unemployment was was rising, and she understood that was um, a negative thing for a lot of people. But that didn't necessarily mean she understood how the lives of of people. Right? She understood that not having a job was a negative thing for many people. But mm -hmm. the day to day life of somebody who is, you know, a coal coal miner in the nineteen eighties, and they're losing their job. I can't yeah. see that the queen would have true empathy for that type of person. Mm -hmm. And that's when the incident happened where uh, the guy, I forgot his name, broke into her, her bed chamber, right? Yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little hazy on the details, but yeah, so he, he, he woke her up in the morning, right. And they had a, had a chat. A little heart to heart talk about the, the situation and the unemployment in England and Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Okay. But all in all, you know, for me, I, I think it's been great that she's lived so long. As you said, uh, she brought a lot of stability. Um, I guess one of the more, what about her negative points or her real negative points? I think one of them in England is the way she reacted or didn't react to the death of Princess Diana, right? Yeah. I mean, I think she's kind of, rec she's, she's recovered from that now, but yeah, at yeah. the time, that was almost a scandal, right? How how she took several days to react to the news, which was fairly clear to me was was a huge mistake, even at the time. And even though it was 
you know, nine years old at the time, you know, it was, yeah. that was big news that she hadn't reacted to the death of Princess Diana. And it seemed a pretty obvious thing to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, the relationship between Diana and the Queen and Charles is obviously quite a complicated one. Uh, but I think that that definitely indicated to people that she was out of touch with the you know the pop the public mood and popular sentiment at the time yeah and it's really strange like you know from what i've read and seen too she's she's very uh as a parent i'm i'm not sure but kind of hands off or you know let the nannies deal with it not very motherly so which which is uh kind of weird can you know considering i think her her own father was quite you know close to her and you know for all accounts you know not not distant or anything like that so why why is she so distant do you think i mean uh, i don't know if i can make any kind of uh, educated <laughs> comment on that but uh maybe this is a good point to move on to talking about prince charles okay let's and, go um so prince charles what do you think is uh do you think people in the united states japan generally have a good perception about him or maybe maybe when he was younger um they had great interests or a, a nice perception of him um <laughs> you know uh from what i gather um his father is a very like man's man uh you know, uh, he's flying, he served in the military, he served in World War Two, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, sporting man, you know, yachting or all the, all those things, right? And, uh, yeah, so I think Charles, uh, from what I understand, was a very sensitive person, sensitive child. And uh, that really clashed, I guess, with his father. And from what I gather, with, with the queen being a little bit hands-off, probably he didn't get that attention from his mother so for me he just strikes me as a really sensitive person in the beginning uh kind of i guess we could say kind of weak in in some way what do you think yeah i mean i think he's quite a controversial figure um mm. I, I think you know there's definitely uh, a huge difference between him and, and his father prince philip mm. uh you know he's his father, although he grew up within another royal family, mm. um, I think had quite a difficult childhood. Mm. And, um, you know, he was growing up in the 30s. And then, you know, he, he was in the Navy during the Second World War. Um, you know, and the Second World War and the aftermath, the Greek Civil War, essentially destroyed his family, right? So... You know, he came from a position of privilege, of course, but, you know, that was quite a rough upbringing and a, a difficult early life. And that was in stark contrast to the upbringing that Charles had, right? Um, he grew yes. up in royal palaces, uh, mollycoddled, servants all around him. Um, mm. And so I think to a certain extent, it's just the clash between... Uh, between the two of them was just, uh, you know, it was, it was, well, a well, we I like that word. <laughs> I think that, I think that's how it is. And I think, you know, what I said before about this separate, separating, 
uh, the institution of the monarchy from the person is very important because I think the institution is in, enjoying high levels of popularity right now because the queen mm. is popular. Yeah. But Charles is not popular at all. So mm. I think I can see you if Charles steps into being monarch and he's the monarch for 10 or 20 years, I could see that there being a significant um, reduction in the popularity of, of the monarchy as an institution. Of course, he will be less popular than his mother as, a, as king. So, yeah, he, he comes off as a very, like, victim and sensitive person in the TV show. There, there's this one episode that I think was one of the better, like, well, in my top top three episodes of The Crown, where uh, they show the contrast between him and his father at a similar age, where they're both going to that boarding school in Scotland, right? Mm-hmm. And we see how Philip, like, you know, persevered despite all these super difficult things in his life, like, his his family going down in a plane basically right mm-hmm. but he he overcame it and we see charles where he just can't handle it and he just has to come home right so i yeah. thought that was a, a very good episode to draw the the contrast between the the two of them right so uh and then i guess we get into like the you know the relationship the love triangle princess diana and uh Camilla, right? And uh, so that that is also something that dragged Charles's pop uh, popularity down, right? Well, yeah, he definitely came out of that looking very bad, and he he still looks bad. But I don't think that that mm. I don't think that that it wasn't that wasn't an exception, right? That right. his general attitude towards uh, his position and um his life caused that situation um and he still has the same attitude and we see him being extremely entitled extremely snobby um Mm. and frequently trying to um influence politicians even though that's completely inappropriate for somebody of his position Mm. Mm. so you would say this attitude existed before diana after Diana and even now, and it still has the public basically against them. Cause I, I had heard that maybe in the past five years or I don't know, less, less than 10 years, he had a little bit of a resurgence or regained popularity with um, him and Camilla being kind of officially together and all that. But you, you don't think so then, or. I mean, it's possible. I, I haven't, um, maybe he's, he's more popular now. Um, perhaps with, uh, you know, his grandchildren being born and, uh, you know, the, the Royal weddings with, uh, William and uh, Kate and then, uh, Harry and, uh, she who, uh, shall remain <laughs> nameless. Um, you know, maybe that made him look a little bit, uh, better right i'm sure i'm i wouldn't be surprised if people are seeing him in a more favorable light but yeah arrogant i don't i mean i don't know if i don't know if this is really true but the popular perception and this is what i think of him is he's arrogant and weak and entitled and Mm. he simply hasn't gained the respect of people in the same way as his mother has sure but then uh, you know that's something they'll look into like i'm not an expert on the royal family but probably yeah having a a a father the way his father was and having a mother who was basically hands off 
you know, created that kind of, I guess you could say monster. <laughs> I, I wouldn't describe him as a monster. I feel like this, that's not fair, but no, no, no. I mean the, the monster of entitlement. No, obviously uh, he's okay. not like, a yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, I think, I, I don't think he's really that different from a lot of, a lot of young yeah. and now older people who grew up in a, in a very luxurious uh, lifestyle. Um, you know, he was told from when as soon, you know, from when, when he could speak, he was told he was going to be King, mm-hmm. you know, that's got to affect people's, uh, that's got to affect people's psyche. Right. Whereas growing up, Elizabeth, uh, didn't, didn't think she was going to be queen. Right. She wasn't, yeah. she wasn't in line to the throne until 1937 when she was, when her uncle, what was that? Abdic- when she yeah. was 10 years old or. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Nine years or 11 years old? I can't remember. But, you know, she wasn't brought up, brought up with the same expectations that was thrust upon her, whereas Charles has spent his whole life waiting to be king. Right? That's a good breakdown. That's true. That's true. Because, you know, no one, I guess no one had thought, you know, her uncle would, you know, abdicate the throne, right? So. Again, you know, the British monarchy being ruined by an American. And we see that again, <laughs> in, see that again in 2020. <laughs> She, she who shall remain nameless. <laughs> yes. Uh, so. Um, well, yeah, if I can I just say, uh, the last thing on Charles is, uh, you know, and then with Diana, I guess she, she totally overshadowed him, right? In terms of popularity. And that really killed his, his ego and whatever narcissism, you know? So that was a tough blow, I think, for him dealing, dealing with Diana at that time, too. Well, that's quite, I'm not sure, that's quite an interpretation, right? It could be true, but um, yeah, I mean, so let's use that as a segue and go on to our third and final personality for today, which is uh, Princess Diana. So what's, what would you say? I mean, what would I say? I would say immensely popular, immensely popular. Mm. seemed nice a lot of charitable work I, I don't know is it genuine is that her or is that her doing it for the cameras that's that's a big argument right between her and the and the royal family because they would get upset she would always be out in the media they would get upset she would always be you know portrayed as a you know this this godlike figure. So i don't know this super immensely popular figure there was resentment like well we could do the same thing too but you know it's not it's not protocol or you're breaking you know you shouldn't be doing those kinds of things i don't know it's this whole argument so was she going for the fame or was she really that good-hearted you know i can i can see uh it's difficult to say i mean uh i'd start by saying that you know she she was and she remains an immensely popular figure in the united kingdom too and you know, the fact that she died at a young age, hound, you know, hounded by the press, or however you want to put it, made her into something of a martyr, right? Um, and, you know, when someone dies young like that, it's very easy to kind of uh, ignore all of the um, negative points that that person might have. Um, so, yeah, I think... It, you know, an interesting contrast or comparison is with uh, with uh, mm. Megan and how 
Mm. Um, you know, Diana became a kind of celebrity, right? And that's not really, that's not really yeah. considered to be the correct role for somebody of the royal family. And, you know, it, I wouldn't, I'd hesitate to say the Queen's a celebrity because she didn't really fit into that or Charles is a celebrity because mm -hmm. their behavior doesn't, is, is different from that. Whereas someone like Diana or Meghan, right? Um, mm. In many ways, they were acting like they're celebrities. And I think that that was... Um, that was uh, maybe okay at the time for Diana, but right now is very is completely unacceptable in terms of what Meghan and Harry are doing. Um, yeah, yeah, and you know they're they're similar, but I, you know obviously they're different because you know I, I, like I'm not an expert on the royal family, but it seems to me Diana is a person who just basically wanted to be loved. But she got married, what, when she was 19? Really young, right? Something like, something like that, yeah. And Charles was well over 30, right? And he already had a mistress going in. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's going to cause a lot of insecurity and uh, a lot of, you know, that kind of unstable thing is going to affect someone really negatively, right? So, I'm not, you know. Then, then she had issues with her, uh, I guess, her bulimia and... Uh, I know she had various relationships, right? And then some really high profile relationships. But um, yeah, it must, have been, it must have been tough when you go into a marriage and you know, your husband already has a mistress from day one, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want to imagine, I don't want to imagine that. Yeah, I'm sure it was a horrendous situation and it doesn't seem like Charles handled that in a very graceful or... Um, sensitive way and it just seems like again a kind of arrogance of power you know I'm a prince I'm the prince of Wales and I can do whatever I want and if I want to have a mistress and a wife at the same time then uh, then I'll do that mm -hmm. so I mean that's one of the things about that I found curious about the crown how uh, Prince Charles has been from what I've seen so far portrayed in quite quite a sympathetic uh, light whereas mm -hmm. You know, I can see how his upbringing and his family's attitude led to um, mm. led to some of the behaviour that he might have. Had. But still, I, I don't I don't think it's acceptable for you know, despite everything that happened to him, that doesn't justify his actions. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, and then I guess you know she just had to throw in this herself into something because you know that marriage was missing and she threw herself into that charity work and all those things but you know like we said earlier that caused a lot of resentment um but yeah i think diana definitely you know i can't read someone's mind or their heart but it seems she genuinely cared about people and she tried to make an effort to bring attention and awareness to things she brought a lot of awareness to AIDS, for example, right? Yeah, I mean, we should definitely shouldn't ignore, yeah. ignore that. And you know, if we if we compare that to the kind of work that that others in the royal family have, have done, then it comes out quite favourably. Um, 
but I don't think we should. Yeah. I don't think we should ignore the negatives of, uh, you know, Diana's flaws. I don't think we should kind of see her as this perfect princess who was betrayed by Charles and Charles and, um, I don't really, so what, what are her main flaws to you then as a, from, from your perspective? I mean, I think, uh, you know, the way that she, the way that she approached, um, mm. the situation in the mid 1990s just really stirred the pot. I don't think, I don't think she had to do that. Um, I think she, you know, she, mm. she made the situation worse when it wasn't, it wasn't really necessary. Of course she, she must've had a lot of resentment and anger and uh, I'm sure that contributed towards how she decided to pursue her life and what she said. Um, you mean like her book, her interviews, that kind of thing? Yeah. And just, you know, she was kind of, she was kind of flaunting it. Right. I mean, she was voicing around jet setting around the world, mm. uh, you know, with Mr. Al fired and, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're just what, you know, and she, when she died, she was, she left the, you know, five-star hotel in Paris. And then she was, driving through the streets of Paris with a billionaire's son in the middle of the night. I mean, mm. I don't know. I don't think there's necessarily, like none of those actions are necessarily wrong. I just think she, she could have been a little bit more tactful in how she approached the situation. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. We can't so, really, we can't really compare. I know you, you kind of like tried to draw this comparison about Meghan Markle and her Diana a little bit. But, you know, I mean, they're, they pretty much moved to, you know, the Canada or L.A. or wherever they're at. But, you know, they, to escape that responsibility. But Diana, in a sense, wanted responsibility or embraced some responsibility, right? And on the other hand, they're, they're looking for more commercial opportunities, right? So, yeah, there's similarities, but there's also some big differences I would draw there, right? I'm not, I, I don't want to suggest that, uh, that they're yeah. that similar. All I'm suggesting is that yeah. one of the problem, one common problem they have with, uh, they mm. both have is that um, mm. they started to, you know, they joined an institution mm. that was um, supposed to be steady and um, serious and somber. Um, yeah. And, you know, they were expected to act in a, in a humble way. Mm. And both of them became celebrities. Um, mm. I mean, Megan was already a celebrity, but both of them acted like celebrities in their, in their roles. And Megan is still acting like a celebrity in her role. And in my mind, that's not appropriate for um, somebody who is in the Royal family and their their roles should be more like uh, figureheads, representatives of the country, and especially, especially with Meghan, she she obviously is uh, looking at this as a commercial opportunity, and I find that to be um, disgusting. But you know that's true of American politics too. 
um, you know, American politics are a commercial opportunity. You become a congressman or a senator, and then after that, you can make millions and millions of dollars. But um, that's getting yeah. a little bit off topic. But yeah, there are important differences too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, Megan seems to be driven by greed from everything that she does, whereas Diana didn't seem to be driven by greed. So I think that's a very important difference. But what I'm saying is the similarity there is more about the kind of celebrity status and how that did not fit in very well with their public roles. Mm, Yeah, for sure. So to bring this to a conclusion, then what's, what's your personal opinion about monarchy? Is it, you know, you come from a country that doesn't have a monarchy and you know, your family comes from another country that doesn't have a monarchy. So as an outsider, do you think it's a system that has any merit or does it seem kind of quaint and ridiculous? I mean, logically, it seems ridiculous, right? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you know, it's, uh, you know, I don't know how to say this. Uh, maybe it, from like a money, like tourist and uh kind of the respect you get around the world and the interest. I mean, it, it does generate a lot for the country. So I think it is beneficial to, to England. I mean, for example, like people may, may go, oh yeah, let's take a trip to London and let's go to Buckingham Palace, you know, something like that, right? Let's, let's go to all these museums. There's like a deep interest. It, it benefits the country, right, in some way. So I think from that perspective, it's, it's very useful. I mean, I've never, I've never really yeah. bought into that argument. I mean, oh, really? let's okay. take that argument to the extreme. I mean, Auschwitz brings mm. tourists to Poland, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that Auschwitz is a good thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, Nazi comparisons are never very really fashionable, but just because it brings tourists doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, it's a intrinsically good right it is this i don't i don't buy that i don't mm-hmm. it was true it does bring tourists but so what i mean it's, in a way it's kind of like living history too it's like preserving preserving all these uh traditions and historical things in english history and um you know still still having them be alive in in some sense I think is also a, a good thing. I mean, obviously they don't have any power, right? They, they don't make laws or they don't decide things. I guess they do have like some unofficial influence uh, more than Japan, you know, where I think they're totally in the backdrop. But uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think? I mean, as I said at the beginning, I think it's, uh, I think it's time to move on from the monarchy. Uh, it's played a very important role. British society and, and, you know, in other countries too. Um, and, you know, to be fair, the system functions, it works. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's really appropriate for 21st century uh, Britain. I think it's time to, it's time to move on from that. And, and it's probably time to implement some kind of elected president, um, not in the same sense as an American president, but have a president and a prime minister president being a figurehead that's elected maybe once every 10 years um but that's that's, mm -mm. no no not to cut you off but in a way like politics are really divisive thing and the monarchy can be more of a uniting 
or you know a, a place where people can unify because it doesn't matter what your political views are because it's supposed to be a political position right so it really uh, unites people nationalistically you know behind you know we're england we're british and i think that's a that's a positive thing because as we see a counterexample like in the us it's like we're two different countries in some way because of our divisive politics so what about that from that perspective that it is a unifying force I think it is a unifying force, but again, you know, just like with the tourism argument, I would say that just because it's a unifying force doesn't mean that we should keep it. I mean, I don't think, I think the premise of the monarchy is wrong. Why, why Mm. give power to this uh, unelected, you know, hereditary queen? I don't think that that I think I think the very basis of the idea is wrong and isn't inappropriate for the 21st century. Yes, it's a, yes, it's a figurehead. Yes, it unifies a country. Yes, it brings tourism. Sure, but that doesn't address the fundamental problems. I guess philosophical problems that I have with the idea of the monarchy. And you know, I know you just made the comparison with the United States. I mean, the problem with the United States system is that the American president is both head of state and head of the government. That's where you get real problems. In other systems, that's not the case. For example, uh, Germany, you have an elected president who is head of state that has very limited powers and is essentially uh, a figurehead. Uh, And then you have the head of the government who is a separate person, right? Um, that's what you have in a constitutional monarchy too. You have a head of state and a head of government. Um, but you know, yes, it doesn't work very well. You could, the president of the United States can't be unified, can't unify the country in the same way as someone who's more apolitical, but that's just simply a reflection of the fact that the United States mm. combined those two roles into one. Mm. Okay. Let's see what you're saying here. Um, I guess this would be a great question to ask our audience is, are you pro or anti-monarchy? <laughs> and that'd be a great question to email email for. And we'll see, we'll see how the votes line up. Or you can, you know, on our Facebook page, just let us know with your comments too. Obviously, Robin is an anti-monarchy. He wants to dissolve it. He wants to put the queen's head on a spike, it seems like. <laughs> I'm pro-monarchy. So. I don't think it'd be necessary to put her head on a spike. She's already 90, 94 years old, I think. So, yeah, yeah. Send any uh, send any questions or comments to our Facebook page or uh, our email address permanentlyres at gmail dot com, and we'll respond to any questions, queries, or comments uh, in future episodes. For sure. I guess the last comment I like to make is we're talking about Charles, but Charles is already like, you know, what, seven, late seventies, isn't he? And yeah, uh, I think he's 70, 70 years old. This year. 70 years old, seven years old. Um, so whenever he does reign, it probably won't be for the longest amount of time. Right. It'll probably be like a max 20 year reign, something like that. Right. Um, 15, 20 years, something like that. And it seems to me from the outside, his son, uh, William, is someone who's very stable, who's someone that can provide the same kind of long-term reign like uh, his grandmother. So I can definitely foresee the constitutional monarchy. It will keep going. 
into the near future, you know, next 50 years at least. We'll see. I hope you're wrong. And, uh... But don't you see that about William, though? He is very, you know, he seems well-suited. Yeah, he's much more suited than Charles, and I think he's much more popular than Charles, too. And Kate is definitely more popular than Camilla Parker Bowles. So, uh... And Meghan Markle, for that matter. Yeah. Fortunately, Megan's never going to get near the, near the throne, so I think we're okay. <laughs> he still cares about the throne. Look at him. <laughs> he wants to dissolve it, but he wants to protect it at the same time. Well, if we're going to keep it, I don't, uh, you know, <laughs> you've got to keep the Americans away from it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, on that note, thank you so much for listening. Um, we'll see you next time. All right. See you next time. Send those emails and those uh, Facebook comments. Bye.